Armor Up 2.0. And in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 6, it says, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I really, I don't know about you, and, and, and I think everybody's probably different, but I really love the fact that as a follower of Jesus, I am given a spiritual suit of armor to armor up with. It's so important for me, pastor or no pastor, just as a follower of Jesus, to fight things in the Spirit, to engage in the spiritual battle in such a way that we win and not lose. Because our minds will lie to us. I was just talking to a, a friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about how we have buddies in, uh, that were uh, former Navy SEALs and the training that they go through and buds and, and just these things that are so psychologically uh, taxing. And we were talking about how your mind lies to you and says you can't do this or you can't go any further. And the same thing applies really in the spiritual realm, that if you're not fighting the battle in the Holy Spirit, your mind will lie to you. Your mind and even your flesh, your emotions will try to tell you something that is contrary to what God's word says. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is an amazing verse that most of us know. And your flesh will say, yes, but you can't do it in this situation or whatever it might be. It's important for us to fight in the spirit because our flesh deceives us. Our minds may lie to us and say, hey, this isn't going to work out or no, this is too far gone, whatever the case may be. Satan would love to lead you and me and, and we need to understand this into any direction that is the opposite of the direction that God has called us in. You know, I just started doing these things with Hudson in the morning on the way to school on a couple days a week where I drive him. And we have what we call our man-to-man talks. And uh, he's 10 years old. And so we're talking about things that are important for young men to understand. And we came up with the subject of truth. And we were talking about how important truth is and what God's word says. And some of the things that we've talked about on Sunday mornings here, where, you know, you take anything that God says in his word and Satan will just tell you the opposite of it. And we started in the book of Genesis where you know the story where you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. So don't eat of this fruit. And so now Satan says, you can eat of this fruit or you should eat of this fruit. Well, I'll die. No, you won't die. And so in looking at our world, we're looking at the importance of truth and how that you see everything that God says in his word, Satan will just say the opposite. So if you want to know what Satan thinks, just go into God's word, find a truth found in the scripture and take the opposite of it. And that's what is being taught to the world today. And so reflecting upon these past months of studying the section covering the armor of God, it's become increasingly evident in my own life that our lives will not look or be what they're supposed to look like or what they're supposed to be without the covering of the armor of God. And on that subject of truth, knowing truth is such a valuable thing. And really, it's becoming priceless now, isn't it? Truth, with all the things that are being disseminated out there on social media, newspapers, you know, cable news networks. Unfortunately, more and more people are becoming less and less concerned with what truth really is. Yes, you should pause for a moment and think about what I just said. 
more and more people are becoming less and less concerned with what truth really is. Because we want to create our own realities and our own truths. We want to surround ourselves with things that suit our opinions and our feelings. And that's why we have public figures stating that feelings are more important than facts. That's why we even have churches that cater to someone's feelings and don't teach them the truth of God's word. But really, that's not too surprising now, is it? Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. There will come a time, Paul said. Well, that time is now. If you've not noticed it already, that people will not put up with sound biblical teaching. But according to their forbidden cravings, they will accumulate piles of teachers for themselves, as they shut their ears to the truth and embrace fables. That Greek word fables in the original language is pronounced muthos. It's spelled M-Y-T-H-O-S. Guess what word comes from muthos in the English language? Myth. Absolutely. It's imperative for us as Christians to tie the belt of truth to our waist so that we're held up and that we're held together because lies cause us to fall. Righteousness. That's not something that's talked about too much these days. You've heard me reference this verse, but I really like the reading of it in the New Living Translation. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. We're all infected and impure with sin. You know, right, that there are a lot of people that are afraid of dying. They're afraid of dying. It is one of the the greatest and most powerful phobias. There are many people that are afraid of dying because they don't know for sure if they're good enough to make it into heaven. Now, I haven't posted any about, you know, anything about this publicly. And, you know, even as far as social media goes, I'm more of a private person, I guess you could say. But my grandma Thurston, my mom's mom, is dying. And she may even pass away today. But she loves the Lord with all of her heart. All of her heart. She's had numerous strokes and really her body's shutting down. And yet... My mom and dad who are visiting her right now are telling me that she's singing songs of praises to the Lord. And she keeps saying how much she loves Jesus, you know, and all of these things. And, and, and her relationship with the Lord, as I've known her, you know, my entire life has been one of righteousness and one of great love for the Lord. And I'll tell you right now, she's not afraid of death. She's not. I remember, you know, because my grandma lives out of state, she lives in Seattle, I didn't get a chance to see her as much as I would like. 
but I remember I was on a trip to Canada, and I did a pit stop in Seattle so I could see her. And I remember asking her about, you know, Grandma, tell us about where, you know, our family's from. Because if you don't know, I'm second generation born in America from Sweden. And so I asked my grandmother, you know, like where we're from. And, and, uh, and she started telling me about this little village and et cetera, and going all the way back as far as she could remember. And she said, you know, we were involved in a lot of fights against, you know, this other country that was coming in to try to, to take over our village. And when the Russians would try to come in, you know, and this different thing back in the day. And she said, your family and your forefathers were involved with trying to hold these things back and would fight against them. And, and she showed us our family crest and all these kind of things. It was really cool. But all that to say is that my grandma is a very strong woman. She's a fighter. And she uh, has been battling very, very strongly against these things that have been terrible physical ailments. But the one thing, as her body has deteriorated, and you know, your body gets to that point where it powers down, you know, and it's saying it's time to go, that she has not lost her consciousness of Christ in her. And she has not lost that connection to God through her faith in Jesus. And since the day that my grandmother placed her faith in Jesus, she's been covered with the righteousness of Christ. And so in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, it just becomes all that more real where it says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The person that is not clothed with the righteousness through faith does not have that same glorious expectation as Grandma Thurston has or anyone that has their faith in Jesus. Those last moments are not well-pleasing, but rather dreaded for those that are apart from Christ. And so truth affects our eternity for righteousness before God comes through faith alone in Christ Jesus. And so arming yourself with that righteousness that comes through Christ makes you strong, and it preserves you against those attacks meant to destroy you. Peace And this is something that you see even on your deathbed. If you know Jesus personally, you will know personally the peace of God. If you say no to Jesus, then you're saying no to the peace that surpasses all understanding. And see, the gospel, the preparation of the gospel of peace, which you shod your feet with, those shoes that you stand in, meaning you're standing in the shoes of victory, are the very thing that gives you peace. Because the gospel brings peace to man that was against God. The message of the gospel gives you the ability to communicate the saving power of God to those in your life that are without peace. It's the very thing that reminds you of where peace comes from. Your relationship with God. That removal of sin removes the enmity between you and God. It communicates that God loves you. And you know these things. And if you do not, then you should know that God does love you and he desires to have a personal relationship with you. He demonstrated that love when he sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross for you. And he did this so that you might know the peace of God and that you might have assurance of salvation and forgiveness. This morning, when you ask God to forgive you of your sin. That is made possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. Today, if you so choose to recommit your life to Jesus or give your life back to him today, that 
option is made possible because of what Jesus did. And so forgiveness is a powerful part of the message of the gospel. It should also remind you as a follower of Jesus that you can say, Lord, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? And he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you feel distance from God because of your sin, you can immediately approach the throne of grace and say, Father, forgive me, I have sinned, and instantaneously, done, forgiven, made righteous in his sight. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All of these things that I have been sharing with you is the utilization of what is called the sword of the Spirit. So when the Word of God is being taught or communicated, shared, quoted, referenced, what's happening in your spirit right now, the things that might have been like, oh, that's a great reminder, or oh, I feel better about that, or I need to confess my sins to the Lord, oh, I can't believe that I can just say I'm sorry, all of that is the utilization of the Holy Spirit's sword. What takes place here every single Sunday morning when the scriptures are open is the sword of the spirit. This is what we have. When we talk about faith, people are just generally losing faith. Have you noticed this? They've lost faith in the government, faith in people, faith in the quote-unquote system. Without faith, you're without hope. I mean, when people say they've lost faith, they're really saying that they've lost hope in something that was pointing to some sort of good to come from a bad situation. I've lost all hope because you had put your hope in something and you thought something good would come from whatever that something may be. When you take hold of the shield of faith as a Christian, I want you to understand something because I didn't share this and it. I think it goes without saying, but also I think it's important to note that it takes effort to lift the shield of faith. The more I've looked at historical accounts of what shields looked like, they weren't light. It actually took effort to lift the shield. It takes strength to lift the shield. If you've ever maybe gone to a museum or maybe seen a replica of, of maybe a, a Viking shield or a Roman shield or, or a, of, of some sort of soldier throughout history of what a shield looks like. I mean, if you've ever seen, you know, the guys on SWAT that carry with those blast shields or riot shields, etc., they're not light. It requires effort. Lifting a shield requires maturity. No one ever said that lifting the shield of faith would be effortless or easy. But nonetheless, it is necessary in order to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Some of you may not want to exercise your faith because it requires effort. How do you exercise your faith? Well, you pick up your shield time and time again to become accustomed to using it. You lift up a five-pound weight, it might be heavy to you. You keep lifting it over a course of time, it's not heavy anymore. Shields. Your faith. It can be heavy. It requires strength. It requires perseverance. But once you've become attached to your shield of faith, you realize the great asset it is in your spiritual battle. And Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So by taking your shield of faith, you are hoping in the Lord. Not in a system, not in man, not in an an institution. Your hope is in the Lord and that he is truly a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And last week we covered salvation. The helmet of salvation. We're not slaves to fear. We're not under the control of the lusts of the mind. We take every thought into captivity. That's not who I am anymore. I've been changed. I've been set free. I'm thinking differently, as Romans 12 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the second half of the verse that we looked at last week is verse 17b of Ephesians 6. And it says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God. Now, I've always loved weapons. Now, don't be alarmed, okay? Before you're like, oh boy. Weapons in the hands of the right person do a lot of good in battle. Paul states now for the Christian man or the Christian woman to take up the sword of the Spirit. This sword of the Spirit in the Greek language is pronounced makara, which is a large knife for cutting up flesh. A large knife for cutting up flesh. I find that very interesting because the sword of the Spirit does cut up a lot of the flesh, doesn't it? The flesh, the old nature, the sinful nature. The sword of the Spirit goes in there and does serious damage. Now, I have made reference to living in Hawaii over the years of our church. And uh, I lived on the big island in Hilo and had the great privilege of of serving at Calvary Chapel Hilo as an intern and youth guy under Pastor Ron Brav over there. And was extremely immature. The Lord used that a lot in my life to, to help me uh, grow spiritually. Uh, I lived in Maui for a number. Uh, well, actually, I, I lived in Maui for a good amount of time as well uh, prior to living on the big island of Hilo. And one of the things that we were cautioned about and you know, being a mainlander moving over to the, the islands were centipedes. And we're not talking about these little caterpillar-looking things. In Maui, they have really big centipedes that are about, like, maybe an inch to two inches thick. And they can be about, you know, a foot long. So, like that big. And they have hard armored shell, and they have millions of legs, and they're very poisonous, actually. And and they bite. And they're not nice. They're actually very uh, aggressive. And one night I was sitting uh, on the couch in our living room and it was really dark and it was just the illumination from the screen of the laptop that I was working on where out of the corner of my eye I saw this long black thing crawling on our carpet. And, you know, it was darker than, you know, I could see just a little bit. And, and uh, I, I yelled out and it was late and all the lights were off. Uh, my roommates were sleeping and I was like, hey, hey, quick, come out here. And, and they come running out, you know, and, and they're going, what in the world? Because if they get into your house, they'll go into your, into your cupboards, and you never know when you go to get that box of Cheerios what might be there. So you don't want these in your house alive. And so my roommates came running out, and we tried to trap it in the corner, and we finally kind of corralled it, and, and, and it was this ugly, ugly creature. I mean, it was vicious. I mean, no doubt it was probably hilarious that three to four grown men had kitchen pans and pots and knives, you know, trying to, to kill this thing. Uh, but 
the centipede, as we kind of kind of boxed it in the corner, and we were we had our you know like a frying pan, and the thing is with those with centipedes, you have to cut its head off. Um, uh, you can cut off part of it, and it'll still survive. You know, and then we had ones that could fly, and they would jump. No, I mean, they didn't fly. I was just kidding. Um, but uh, we, I remember they uh, it was in the corner, and we had our pot and pan, and uh, and and pots and pans, and we're trying to like not let it escape. And it was like rearing up on its back legs and it was like, wham, biting the, the metal pants. Like this thing was vicious. And, uh, you know, we were trying to cut off its head with, with a steak knife. And, you know, you have to chop off its head, as I said. But, you know, once we had, had slain the wild beast, uh, we were in shock of how awful that thing was. Uh, it was ugly, ugly. You know, sin is a lot like that centipede because they don't call it as ugly as sin for no reason. And they're vicious. And sin hurts. It's ugly and its sting is worse. 1 Corinthians 15.56 says the sting of death is sin. I like the fact that as a Christian, we get a sword that is provided for us by the Holy Spirit, and that sword is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Now, I like swords. I've actually have little swords that I've collected when I got married. Uh, Victor Marx presented me with a samurai sword. I have that. It's, I love that sword. I, I have, when I traveled to India, I picked up some things that were very cool. I actually have a sword uh, with me today. Now, this sword is great for killing centipedes. (laughs) But for the Christian, the sword of the Spirit cuts away flesh. Now, this particular sword wouldn't just cut, you know, and give you a scratch. Like, this would remove parts of you back in the day. But it was imperative for a soldier to be able to wield a sword properly. Could you imagine going into battle where men were armed with things like this and you had nothing? And when we think about spiritual battles, we need to understand how important the word of God is and how that it is sheathed, held together with the belt of truth. And when you wield this sword, this sword is effective in attacking and defending by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the Word of God. This sword, this sword that we've been given, we leave at home often. Or we're not very familiar with it. We don't pick it up. I can tell you, I don't really play around with the sword. I don't get dressed up and run around with my sword. Uh, You won't typically see me at Comic-Con. But anyway, the thing with the sword is that if you leave it there, it gets rusty, dusted. You don't use it. The word of God is this right here, the scriptures. This is your sword in the spiritual realm. This. Every Sunday, 
we take out our sword. But it's not meant to be that because if you only have battles on Sunday, that might be okay. But I can look out and tell you firsthand, battles don't just come on Sundays. Battles just don't come in the morning when you want to get to church. A soldier who didn't know how to use his sword would die in battle. Now, do you feel like dying in a spiritual battle today? I hope that's a resounding no. No. The sword of the Spirit appropriately is attached to truth. You cannot attach the sword to your hand until it's first been attached to truth. Truth holds the sword of the Spirit. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 160, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. This sword doesn't break. That's another good thing. This sword doesn't get cracked. This sword cannot be destroyed. That sword doesn't have to be sharpened. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus said in John 17, 17, as he was praying to his father, he said, speaking of his disciples and those that would follow him, he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, please? Matthew chapter 4. This is the first book of the New Testament. In verse 1 it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. In verse 3, Matthew 4, it says, Now when the tempter came to him, that's Satan, he said, If you are the Son of God... Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, where is it written? The word of God, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, if you want to play the Bible game, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. That's actually a quote from the Psalms, taken out of context, which is dangerous. A lot of people will go into false doctrine because they take one verse and they build their entire belief system without knowing the whole counsel of God or what doctrine is, which is what does the Bible say in its entirety about that particular subject. And Jesus said to him in verse 7, It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up upon an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, it says in verse 11, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. When you as a Christian today know the scriptures, you are armored up with the very same weapon that Jesus utilized when he was tempted by Satan himself there in the wilderness, which we just read in Matthew chapter 4. That is the same sword that Jesus used. 
In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is what you have as a Christian when you know God's word. That's why we say bring your Bibles. That's why we say open your app or whatever you use to study the scriptures. And it can't just be, oh, Garrett said it. Or that leader said it. Or I saw it on TV. It has to be you saw it, you read it, you applied it for yourself. I don't need your faith based upon my faith. Your faith should be in Christ alone on your own. It can't be based upon your spouse's faith. It should be your faith in Christ alone on your own. That's why you open your Bible. That's why you read it. That's why you apply it. That's why you study it. And we cannot refrain from using the word of God in our discussions, in our arguments, and in our spiritual battles. Our belief system, our worldview is based upon the truth found in God's word. And people will want to debate you and say, hey, talk to me about your worldview, but you can't use the scriptures. So it's no way. It's like me going into battle without my sword. The sword of the spirit is seen in action when the word of God is read, when it is spoken, when it is taught, when it is used. There's power in the word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. And whether you realize it or not, when you speak the truth of God's word, when you're quoting that scripture, or when, you know, you can share the scripture with people and not have to say John 3.16. That's your reference so you can find it in the Bible. They put verses and chapters in there so that you could find where it was without having to look through and flip through 5,000 pages of literature. So you don't have to say the reference for it to be God's word. You can say, did you know that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, that if you believe in him, you wouldn't die but have everlasting life? There's power in that. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. From the verse that I just read in the book of Hebrews about the sword of the spirit being sharper than any two-edged sword, it says that it cuts really both ways. That two-edged sword, which means when you employ a verse of Scripture for someone else, that same verse also applies to you. Because sometimes we're very good at maybe pointing out a Scripture to somebody else and say, take that. Not realizing that it cuts both ways, that that same verse also applies to you. Jesus talked about having a plank in your own eye trying to find the speck in somebody else's. Furthermore, when the Christian uses the word of God, there is power there. And it's greater than just mere words because you might have uh, the intellectual capability of, of having certain conversations or providing certain arguments or getting somebody into a corner uh, from an intellectual point of view. The word of God is even greater than any intellectual argument. 
The Word of God has the power of the Holy Spirit moving in it and behind it and ahead of it. And when you know God's Word, you are able to use it properly with the right technique and at the right time in the right situation, even as a soldier would use the sword because he has practiced with it, he has trained with it, he has fought with it, he knows how to use it in the right situation. I mean, when you train with swords, there are all different types of attacks that you can use. But the word of God pierces through the intellect. It pierces through any defense of the flesh, whether that be the lies of Satan, slander from other people, strategies of the enemy, or the like. The word of God gives you wisdom and discernment. By holding your situation up to the light of God's word, you're able to see things for what they are in the spiritual realm. You might have a sense in your spirit about something, but it's not until you open God's word and it says this, that, and the other thing, and then you hold that up against your situation. You're like, wait a second. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, the Bible says very clearly this, and so this is what I'm going to, to use as my guideline. From Hebrews 4.12 again, the word of God not only pierces through any defense, but it's also a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What's fascinating about this is that in the Greek language, that can mean it is fit for judging and it's skilled in judging. Because more often than not, situations don't just come out as being black and white. And if they are, well, great, thank you. I really can see that that's clearly wrong, that's clearly right. Often, the situations of life are complicated and convoluted. And there are times that we may look at a situation and we don't have a clear answer in the physical realm. Like, I just don't know in my own understanding. And that could be because you just don't see it. Like, I I don't see it. I don't understand it. Or maybe it hasn't been revealed yet at that particular point in time. The Word of God tells us that the sword of the Spirit is very skilled in judging intentions and thoughts. And you might wonder, how in the world do you know someone's intentions beforehand? It's usually afterwards you're like, now I can see there there were ulterior motives here. How do you know someone's thoughts? Well, first off, if they're your own thoughts, it makes it much easier. If you're wrestling in your mind with certain things, and thoughts pop in your head, and you're like, wait a second, This goes completely contrary to what God's word says. Those thoughts are from the enemy. I will not not embrace those. I'm going to subject those thoughts to the lordship of Jesus Christ because I have the sword of the spirit. This is a spiritual battle. I know that Satan's come to rob, kill, and to destroy, and I'm not going to have anything of it. However, when dealing with someone else, the word of God gives you great insight. Because if you start to see things that just don't line up with what God's word says, you can tell in the spiritual realm something is off. And the word of God, by its very nature, will show us personally if what we're doing is right or wrong, as well as those that are around us. This is a very important thing. The word of God will pierce Through anything, any defense, it's used to cut up the flesh. And so if somebody's in the flesh, the spirit will cut it up. They may be very good at putting on a front as if they didn't feel what was just said or what was just read or what was just shared. That's not your issue to take up. 
That's between them and the Lord. Your job is to do what God's called you to do. We're not running around with swords like this trying to chop off people's limbs and arms, you know, and, 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 and heads and all this kind of stuff. We use the word of God skillfully, tactfully, and appropriately. We recognize that even the person that we might be speaking with may be communicating certain things. The real battle is taking place in the spiritual realm. That's where we want to fight. Knowing the word of God is important. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the word of God is skilled for showing us whether or not we're doing what is right. And the word of God judges between what is right and what is wrong, what is is of God and what is not of him. And so when you flip on the television and you see something that comes on, you immediately in your spirit know what God's word says. You're like, that is not right. That's wrong. You know, you put on a kid's programming show and they start talking about evolution. Nope, Harrison, God created the earth. The earth isn't five billion years old. Hudson even does that. Nope, Harry, that's evolution. God created the heavens and the earth and dinosaurs. Rah. It's good, brother. But it's for life. And as we come into the first Sunday of the month, as we're going to be having communion, and I like to invite the men to come forward at this time, the word of God is the very thing that allows us to be victorious in the spiritual realm. You know the truth. You know what God's word says. You know how it applies to your life. And now I know I've let you in behind the curtain that every Sunday morning we open the word of God and the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And that's why it pierces to your heart. That's why it convicts you if there's conviction that is needed. That's why it encourages you when there's encouragement that is needed. And everything that we've enjoyed as a church family, everything that we've experienced as as a follower of Jesus is all made possible because of the death of Jesus on the cross, which we're remembering today. And so I encourage you as maybe you have heard these things today and you have certain things going on in your life that are not according to God's word, that you would confess those things to the Lord for he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you do not know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior, that today you would receive him. Would you please join with me as we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is living, it is powerful, it is sharp, it pierces to the innermost being. Lord, we ask that you now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would work in your people's lives today. If there is areas of sin, may they confess it to you right now. With every eye closed and head bowed as you're still before the Lord, even before communion is served, that you would confess your sin to God, knowing that he is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you instantaneously. If you do not know Jesus today as your personal Lord and Savior, whether you're watching this online or seeing an archive or listening to this podcast later, I'd like to lead you in a very simple prayer. If you know that you've sinned, if you know that you're not right with God, you've done things that are wrong, you don't have that assurance of salvation, you don't know where you would go after you die, I want you to know personally and to be assured personally that through faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven and to be absent from your body whenever that time may come 
would mean that you're in the presence of the Lord. And with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here and you do not know Jesus personally, would you just repeat this prayer after me and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned, but I ask that you would forgive me of my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I thank you that you have forgiven me of all my sin. Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace? And give me your strength that I may be who you've created me to be. For I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen.